Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's such a pleasure today to be here with Thomas Cole, who is a conservative player in the community. He's a really strong voice for the conservative platform. Uh, he's the founder of 805 Analytics and has a new website, coalitionforliberty.com. And uh, he's thinking about running for Congress. So we're going to have a great conversation here. Thomas Cole, how are you doing today? Fine, Josh. Good to be with you. Nice to see you. Thank you. Uh, um, my pleasure. I, you know, I followed you. Uh, you've been active on a variety of issues in the community. Uh, let's dive in. I heard recently, read recently that you were thinking about a run for Congress. So can we talk about that and, and what that means and why you might be considering that? Right. Well, the first step is thinking about it and getting it out in the news press was a start to tell people, well, it's early. It's 20 months out. It's not like we're waiting to the last minute, which, which seems to happen sometimes. Uh, so at least throwing the hat into the ring, watching it burst into flames and see what kind of support there is in the community for a run. Salute's been in there uh, many years. And so I thought, at least get started. So what are you concerned about? What are your issues? I know you from appearing and talking about some issues related to schools, some campaigns, some politics. You do have a, a show uh, on the internet, uh, uh, TVSB as well. What are your issues? What are you trying to get at? You know, I, as a as a national issue, I, I believe that the nation is bleeding. It's bleeding all over the place. I mean, you can see it everywhere. Every state has a, a huge battle going on. And, you know, the nation needs a Band-Aid. We need some help. In fact, the nation needs surgery to, to repair what's going on. It seems like we're approaching Civil War times. People talk about it. It's nerve-wracking. Uh, and, and on a national stage, it's not what we do here in Santa Barbara, but we are voting here on a national stage. So there's there's issues that are certainly coming at us with the banking crisis coming up, possible loss of the dollar as a world currency. These are big issues. Our inflation numbers, uh, you know, 9% a year. And, and just as a course, I mean, I think money is very important to people because that's how people live. And yet the government is inflating our currency 4% a year. And now it's inflation is 9, 10, 12% a year. I mean, that adds up just 4% a year over a decade. That means half your value is gone in a decade. So people maybe don't think about that, but these are national issues that are voted on by Congress uh, people. So let me ask you about the politics of the region. You are in an area that has more registered Democrats than Republicans. You're a Republican, you're a conservative. One of my frustrations with politics is sometimes watching candidates run and not really having a, a viable chance of winning simply through party registration, right? So uh, can you talk to me a little bit about that part of it and you know, how, how do you let a conservatives kind of, kind of pull away from those moderates and those independents? <laughs> Well, I have looked at those numbers. We we have researched them, and certainly they're available. We, the the uh, the, the Democrats are about fifty percent in the, in the district in the California, uh, or congressional district twenty four. So about half Democrats, and about uh, a 
quarter Republican and the other quarter is NPP. So that that's what we're looking at now. Sure. Um, We look at uh, Dr. Allen, who didn't do a lot, but uh, was a a very nice, genteel man and educated scholar, doctor. And he pulled a 40, 40 percent and Salud pulled 60. So we're looking at those numbers. I think, well, Dr. Allen got about 15 points from the uh, NPPs, which is about 60% of their vote. So to win, uh, you know, a a Republican needs to get, and this is just facts as we see them, a Republican needs to get all the MPPs and about 15% of Democrats to come over. And that that would give you a 51%. And that's really, that's the goal of running as a Republican. That, that's, that's the way I see it. And that's the way I see, I think other candidates that are Republicans in this area should see it. It's it's the reality of the numbers. And so rather than uh, t- attack Democrats and attack MPP, how could you vote for that? The idea is to like, you know what? We can offer you things that you do want that you're not getting from the current candidate. And that that's probably the in a nutshell how, how I look at it. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't even bother mentioning I'm thinking about running, except I want to get this out there. This is the way to do it. Make friends with your centrists. Let me ask you about some specific issues that I've seen you speak out about public schools. Um, obviously, through the elections across the country, we saw last year, we saw a lot of uh, fights being waged over who's going to serve on school boards over issues such as curriculum. Here locally, we have an achievement gap. Um, you might call it something else, but uh, you know we have a gap in terms of test scores, right? And, and most of our students, I would imagine you feel should be doing a lot better in terms of, of, of grades and test scores. So can you talk a little bit about our schools and what your concerns are there? Right now, our school district in Santa Barbara County is is not doing that great. I mean, they do have like a 70% failure rate. And that means like the students that are graduating, uh, 70% of them can't do fourth grade math and can, can read it like fourth or fifth grade level. That's not really good. I mean, they can barely balance checkbooks and yet they're graduating high school. Now, the, these these numbers are from official charts and they're, they're not really arguable. The thing is that what to do about it. And, and the other point is that most of those unfortunate scores are Latino students for whatever reasons, for the language problems, uh, for the uh, single parents, no, uh, no homework assistance. But for 125 million a year, we would hope the school district could actually attack that problem. And uh, rather than, uh, going into the other directions that we're not so happy with as as Republican voters. But just to put it mildly, we think the scores should be higher and that they should um, certainly be higher with the amount of money. Now, I looked at the last budget, for instance, for just for the Santa Barbara district, $125 million, 80, 87% goes to teachers, uh, salaries, admin, and, and pensions. Um, 14% keeps the lights on and 3% goes to students for books and pencils. 
So that seems like not a good balance. I, I, I would say this is not a good balance. If I was running a school like this, it, people, nobody would go there. They would say, what kind of school is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, this brings up the issue of vouchers because rather than try and force the school districts and the teachers to all be different, if there were vouchers, they would have to be different because people would say, I'm not interested in this school. I don't want 3% going to my student and 87% going to, to pensions. So that's how I see, you know, in a nutshell, our local school district. Now, as a national candidate, uh, it's the federal department of education that would have some effect over the school districts. And I would say, the first thing I would say is like, take any federal money going to schools and say, it's vouchers. Guess what schools? You don't get it. It goes to the parents first. Let them decide what to do with it. We can't change vouchers in here as a national candidate, but that would be up to our state assembly people. But I do, I do feel vouchers is a very strong uh, cure because it solves a problem without having to battle the teachers unions, although they would never let a candidate get in who says the word vouchers. Mm-hmm. I know how it works, but I'm saying it anyway. So vouchers is a very uh, you know, controversial uh, hot button topic. Are you concerned at all about that a system like that will just perpetuate the achievement gap that we have? We know that white students and Asian students perform the highest in our school district. And are you concerned if you sort of allow vouchers, what you're going to see is uh, more of a separation in terms of our population, our students, uh, people choosing where to go and is that really a systemic fix? Is that really helping everybody or is that just helping helping some people? I believe it would help because um, if, if a parent had vouchers, they could choose to use, say, federal vouchers. They could say, okay, I'm going to send my, my Nino to an extra school after school where they extra do extra work for him. Whereas if he's stuck in... Uh, a public school, a government school, there's only so much that can be do, that can be done for that student. For instance, a student that doesn't speak English, that student naturally has to be separated because they have to teach him English. At least that's what that should be happening. But I think vouchers would certainly not hurt. Um, so if we take vouchers off the table, uh, what are some other changes within the current system do you think could be made to improve education. Wow. See this, this is what, um, what happens because I'm not an educator, but you know, I, I'm a lawyer and I can read tons of documents and see what works and what doesn't work. But the educators, the people with PhDs in education, like our Maldonados and people in our school system, uh, have the skills and knowledge to do that the problem is they want to keep it all in their world they want to keep that 125 million a year every year coming paying their pensions and and their their wages whereas if you had a voucher system and people knew that you had a different kind of education system and they could see what's happening actually see the curriculum and that that brings up brings up the other point of hidden curriculum Right. Uh, and that's a local issue, too, that just drives people wild uh, with Christy Lozano's race. The whole thing revolved around why is this hidden? And so if parents could see the curriculum, 
see what's happening, see the results and see their kids actually reading at grade level, doing math at grade level, uh, that would be an improvement. And that's, that's why I'm saying I, I would not say I know exactly what to do for these kids, but I know that financially, if the parents had a choice, and I do want to talk about choice, sure. giving parents a choice seems like a better issue than saying, hey, parents, you have no choice. And although, you know, as a federal candidate, there's not a lot I could do at the local level. But I think these principles could also go to our assembly candidates as well and the school board candidates. Right. Okay. And, and I asked you about the schools and something you had talked about in terms of the federal race. Uh, you mentioned choice. Uh, what about things like, you know, more jobs? Um, that's always an issue in these congressional races, job creation. Um, what are your thoughts on how any candidate there is going to distinguish themselves from Carbajal? Um, what, what's your path? What's your lane as it relates to choice and jobs? Right. Now, the biggest job provider in in our district is actually the government mm -hmm. <laughs> at least that's how it is in santa barbara county and i think the 24th is, is maybe not too dissimilar 50 uh, percent of employed people are employed by the government so that is as a conservative you know i look at that and go why is the government employing half the people that's that's too much now rather than fire everybody we can't do that because they all have pensions and they're not going to get fired but uh i would say why not bring back the big oil jobs. I mean, I'm an oil guy. The nation was built on oil, built on coal and oil. Uh, not that I want to put coal plants right here, but the thing is, the extraction of oil was a big blue-collar income for families all over the county, all over the district. I mean, especially blue-collar nowadays, Latino families, they're suffering. That was a good job for a Latino family. You could make 100000 a year with a high school diploma in the oil business in in this area. And now it's been destroyed. So that's why I'm saying right there is a is a jobs offer. I would say to people in the county, in the district, I would vote to get your oil jobs back. Um, and we can argue whether oil is good or bad. But the thing is, there's no oil being pumped. There's no money being made by families. They're not establishing themselves as Americans with families and properties and generational wealth. Because why? Because of the idea that we're saving the environment. And then the clincher on that is that we're importing oil from Saudi Arabia to fill that, that, that deficit. And so the idea that we're actually saving the environment, maybe that's what people believe. But the fact is we're importing oil from Saudis to fill the deficit and and so it negates the whole idea that we're saving the environment and then you know go with electric cars you plug them in you go oh, i'm saving the environment well you're charging them with energy from arizona and nevada where they run coal and oil and gas powered plants so there's a certain amount of you know dishonesty in this idea that we're saving the environment by killing all these oil jobs and plus it hurts hurts our lower um echelon people and prevents them from moving into the middle class. So that would be what I would say is a federal, a national issue uh, that could be voted on. And I would certainly vote, say, yes, let's get the oil back in California. It's clean oil. It's the cleanest oil we could get with all the regulations. We had that little oil spill. That was too bad, unfortunate, but it's not the end of the world. 
And we're pumping oil like crazy from foreign nations and blowing our money overseas, which doesn't help our local economy either. Mm-hmm. So there's a mouthful, but that's that's what I think about oil. <laughs> so the, the the little oil spill, you're referring to the Plains Pipeline oil spill from a few years back? Okay. Uh, 14,000 <laughs> barrels. Uh-huh. But, you know, uh-huh. you scoop it up, you put it back in the and you clean it up and it's it's good. Now, it's unfortunate, but they happen. So uh, let's talk about some other issues. Do you, are you going to have a position on gun control? That issue constantly comes up on the federal la- level. And, you know, Thomas, we are a, a liberal liberal district, a liberal community. You you read, you read off the, the registration numbers. So, Don't I know it, yes. <laughs> uh, so I guess any conservative who runs against a you know, Democratic incumbent is uh, a little bit of a brave soul, you know, because they're putting themselves out there um what about uh you know we have these school shootings every time um they happen they're they're horrible um it doesn't feel like much is is changing we these things happen almost every day now or a mass shooting happens every day and then you have them at schools do you have any thoughts on uh, gun control that is a federal level issue right uh, with the um with the heller case in the supreme court and the bruin case it it's been settled that the second amendment means what it says shall not be infringed. Now we have reasonable infringement, which I think any of us can live with uh, in California. There's, there's a lot of regulations certainly uh, on guns. And I think there's probably uh, enough, <laughs> probably enough at this point, I wouldn't say we need more. Uh, and then, I mean, to point to the issues, I've done some studies as have a lot of people on, on gun violence, you look at the John Locke studies, um, but you know a Columbine, all the other ones. Uh, it's a mental person. It's a person who's totally insane. I mean, uh, Sandy Hook. The guy was an insane person who should have been uh, in in an asylum in Sandy Hook, for instance. And his mother taught him to shoot high powered re- weapons and kept one in the safe. He got it out of the safe, killed his mother, and went to the school and killed everybody. Mm-hmm. So this is a mental person. The Colorado shootings, mental people. So it, it's any kind of mass shooter. The, the person is obviously mental because normal people don't do that. Uh, so simply a matter of uh, eliminating guns is not really a, a great idea. It'd be, you know, eliminate guns from mental people. But in California, you, you have to show all kinds of evidence. You have to, you know, file the forms and you have to meet with the sheriff. And so it's I think these, these assault rifles, though, I mean, these 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 rifles that carry lots of ammunition. I think that's more of the, the debate. Right. I mean, everybody yeah, the 10 we're in California, we're down to 10 rounds uh, max, although that may be changed, you know, in a matter of months, actually. But, uh, yeah, everything is down to 10 rounds in California. So that's that's the way it is. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not saying I'm fighting fighting to have more guns, but I think California has enough regs right now. Yeah. You know, maybe too many for some people, but certainly, uh, you know, the the Gavin administration wants to keep going. They they want to eliminate a whole classes of of uh, weapons, and it's the question is under Bruin, you have to show a historical. Um, um, historical uh, background to prohibiting a certain weapon. Now, um, 
there, there's a historical background to not allowing people to have bazookas. So that's easy, you know, but uh, single shot rifles are a long time a staple for uh, for California uh, gun owners. And whether we can say, well, your rifle's too powerful or it has it's too accurate, it's too deadly. It's a tough one. But, I, you know, I am I'm pro Second Amendment. It's part of our Constitution. And I just want to say uh, uh, the Second Amendment does protect the first. It always has. And I think that's why they put it there. Now, that, that's getting off into patriot territory, but I am somewhat of a patriot. The, the First Amendment is is gone if you have no way to back it up. And it certainly when, in, when you look at tyrants around the world, it's always the first thing they do is take all the weapons. And then they run their scam on the on the nation, killing and maiming people. You know, you've got Mao, you've got Stalin. The first thing they all did, take all the guns from the people. So only the army has the guns. So that's that's the long story. But that's really uh, the true the true history of, of, of guns. Now, I, I don't I'm not against guns in in schools. We should have uh, uh, retired police concealed carry in the schools. Why not? It's a very dangerous place. I mean, you have a bank full of money and they have an armed guard there. Uh, how much more valuable are our children? So that's why I would say, fine, put armed guards, uh, concealed carry cops uh, in the schools. So there you have it. That, that would be my federal solution. I would say I would vote for that. Okay. All right. A couple more things here. Um, you can't really pick up a newspaper or read anything online, turn on the TV without hearing about fentanyl and this, you know, opioid crisis. And so many people are overdosing and it's uh, such an epidemic. And um, I'm wondering, you know, that's an issue that's going to come up in a campaign. You know, you're going to be asked, what are you going to do to uh, stem the tide here? Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, on uh, fentanyl and ways to, to stop this sort of crisis and this, these, these overdoses that are happening all, you know, all the time when you read the news. Right. I mean, I've seen the, the statistics as they're showing that uh, more people are dying from fentanyl than COVID. And it's, it is very bad. Even in our County, it's a hundred people over just the last little bit of time. Hmm. We have a couple of auto deaths and people go uh, ballistic. So the fentanyl deaths are, are since there are hundreds in our County, people maybe are not, are not realizing how bad it is but the solution you know the solution i would say hey you know let's close the border that's where it's coming in the cartel is running mexico they bring in the chemicals they bring in the fentanyl close the border off get a wall there just let people in that are documented that are uh here to gain citizenship i think that's a pretty good solution i know i mean obviously the last president tried and tried to get the borders closed and they made it into a racial issue oh you you hate mexicans because you want to have a border but the cartel hates america <laughs> they they're sending in fentanyl to kill us and to make money doing it so it seemed a simple solution uh you know like a cowboy solution but you close the borders regulate them and keep the cartel fentanyl out uh, i know there's there's cartel members in all our big cities now i've seen the reports from police chiefs that are saying, yeah, we've got cartel right here in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh and you know Seattle, they're all over. So we need to have a nationwide 
investigation and even, you know, get the police in on these things. I think the FBI could be better served, uh, you know, chasing down fentanyl rings in, in the country than some of the things they are doing now, for instance. And um, when you talk about closing the border, that's obviously a very uh, controversial topic. Uh, it's um, it's unrealistic, right? Like you, you, we, we can't build a wall and close off the border. It's just not going to happen. So um, what about like immigration reform? I mean, if, you know, if there's a way, is there a way to allow more people to come to the country quicker and faster who are looking to work and, you know, come to the country and do positive things? Um, because when you, when you say put up a wall, it's sort of, I mean, you can't put up a wall to block human beings. That's, that's, I mean, that's been seen that that's not, it's not a humane thing to do. And plus it's never going to happen. It's just not realistic. Right. Well, there, there we have a, there we have the rub because, you know, walls maybe don't have to be built on along the entire death march of the desert, but in places where thousands and thousands of people come through with backpacks, some of them filled with fentanyl uh, and also the child trafficking coming through in those areas, a wall could work and does work certainly on the big cities. Those areas are walled up right now, but between uh, basically walls and surveillance. And I mean, there are ways to prevent fentanyl coming in and it does come in across an open border. And so we just have to, bite the bullet about this if people are uh, unhappy with the wall there's certainly enough uh ways to get into the country legally that we don't need to have an open border it's creating a lot of trouble for all of our services uh, we don't need to be mean to our neighbors to the south but the cartel hates us our cartel is the cartel cartel is running mexico and they are running the, the drugs in here to to feed themselves and to uh, is creating uh, vast problems in our country. So I, I would vote, look, let's get some kind of a wall surveillance, even national guard, because it can't go on like this. Mm -hmm. What about a, a domestic solution with uh, doctors and prescription drugs? You know, we hear a lot of times that these doctors are prescribing opioids in high doses without as much check uh, what would you do anything internally in, in terms of the country to address opioid addiction? Right. I think uh, I think a lot of that also be, happened because we hollowed out our manufacturing mm -hmm. and sent it all to China with all the cheap money from the Fed. Suddenly, middle America has no work and, and guys can't support their families and they're losing their houses and they get hooked on drugs. They're so depressed. This is this is the white death that's going on throughout the whole nation because they lost their uh, ability to earn a living for their family. Uh, and, and it may be happening to other races, too, but certainly the, the Midwest was a, a victim of that. And that was where a lot of the opioid, opioid crisis was happening. I know it's a lot stiffer now as far as getting any kind of drugs. For instance, I, I, I had like a, a, a few months back, I wanted to get some cough syrup. Like, and the doctor said, well, that's a triple prescription thing that you can't get it anymore. You just won't even do it because it's, it's too difficult. So I think at least in California, I know the doctors are, are, are shutting down or have been shut down on the easy prescriptions. So uh, I don't know what else I would do 
But I would say, again, this is something for medical experts to to figure out. And, you know, as a federal servant, I would con I would consult with my doctor and say, is there anything else that needs to be done? But I think that the fentanyl right now is what's killing uh, most people. Certainly opioids don't help, but then people do need opioids for major surgeries. Like my, you know, my son had the same problem. He had to have it and he got off it and everything's fine, but uh, it does need to be regulated. Certainly it is regulated uh, enough. Now I believe it's okay, but it could be wrong. Thomas, we got about five more minutes here. Can you talk a little bit about you and your background and <clears throat> Where, how you grew up and where did you get your conservative values? You have parents who were conservatives. Talk to me a little bit about uh, how you came to be Thomas School. Right. Um, my parents are uh, musicians and uh, school teachers uh, for a beginning. And my dad ended up being a, a symphony conductor. And so we spent uh, many, many weekends sitting on chairs waiting to go to sleep so we could go home. And we heard a lot of music. And uh, dad is still uh, living. Mom's passed away. And uh, dad was a presenter at Cal Berkeley for 20 years. And so we had a lot of free tickets to uh, all the shows, Sting, Grateful Dead, everybody uh, for years. That was a great experience. And um, I, uh, for instance, as a 22-year-old, as a I bought my first house with money I made from my own business. So I'm kind of business-minded. I know how it works. I bought a house. I bought silver. It went up. I bought another house. Um, I've been developing and fixing houses and flipping houses, and I still have uh, uh, houses in my inventory that I see. You know, it's a good thing people could buy a house early. It's the best thing you can do because uh, just just the tax write-offs and the, the the knowledge that you gain that you are making those mortgage payments. You deserve your rents because you're maintaining this house, you're paying your property taxes every year. These things are all good. And I think this should be taught in schools, uh, how to get a house, where to get a house, because kids have no idea. And especially around these counties, it's just a, it's a, it's a daunting task. So uh, that's kind of my background and how I would like to ha um, have, have that taught to our kids in, in an educational setting. Whereas they come out now and they can't balance the checkbook. So uh, that's me in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> and so were your parents conservative? Were they Republicans? Uh, no, um, my dad still is like, oh, I don't like that Trump. He's, he's, he says mean things, you know. And, but I said, well, do you not? Do you like the new guy? And he says, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't like him either. But he, he is a Democrat because, I mean, you're a school teacher and then you're a professor and you work at a big university. But he does say, you know, he's 93 and he says, you know, the older I get, the less Democrat I feel because <laughs> he's looking around and he doesn't, he doesn't like what was happening in yeah. California. He says, God, I can't believe that Newsom guy sometimes. So, you know, it's a, it's a matter of can we get we can get 93 year old Democrats to, to vote Republican. Would that be a miracle or not? But that's the goal. That's the goal. Make friends, give them what they want and tell them we have a better idea. Yeah. Wow, I never would have known your father was a, was a Democrat. You know, he learned something every day. You know, so um, yeah. Um, Thomas, are an you, unhappy Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> He's not that happy. Yeah, um, uh, Thomas, I'll give you the last word here. I know you're not officially, you know, in in the congressional race. Uh, you're thinking about it, kind of getting a sense. I imagine there'll be some other people who 
who emerge also as potential uh, conservative candidates there. Uh, Carbajal always gets a challenger. Um, and so uh, anyone who jumps in has got to get votes from those no party preference and some of those Democrats. But just last word, what do you want people to, to know about you and your platform and who you are if they're thinking about voting for you? Uh, I would I would say go to my website, which is a coalition, the number four liberty dot com and, and read my essays because I write my own material. I don't have consultants to tell me what to think or what to do or put my finger in the wind. You will be you'll be able to see all my views and my swell writing skills. And I think that's important to be able to write and think as an individual and not just be a politician who you know does what they tell you to do, signs what they tell you to sign. I'm I'm the real deal. So that's probably my last message. And I appreciate the time uh, today, Josh. Thank you. Thomas Cole, the real deal. I like that slogan. All right. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Good day, Josh.